Okay, so today's daf is Lamed Gimel in Psachim. We are 12 lines from the bottom on Lamed Bet and We were talking about this issue that's actually not really directly related to our subject. We're going to get back to the subject, but the issue was uh, Truma. When we talk about the violation of Truma, do we measure uh, the quantity in terms of the food, Kazayit, since it is, a, it, since the language of the Torah is Ki Yochal Kodesh Bishkaga, person eats it Bishkaga by accident. So does that mean, therefore, it goes by Kazayit? Or since it's really about misappropriation, so therefore, it should be uh, it should be measured in terms of the worth of it. The sheve pruta should be mentioned monetary worth. And so we said that there was a machlok with Abba Shaul and the Tanakama. And at first, Rav Papa had suggested that maybe Abba Shaul requires both. He requires that it be a kazait and that it be sheve pruta. But they showed can, that from another brayta that that was not the case. That really Abba Shaul only meant one. Factor. He's only looking at the the financial aspect. He's not looking at kazait. Okay, and it says, and even Rav Papa himself, Rav Papa Hadarbe, even Rav Papa retracted his suggestion about Abba Shaul. And now, in order to show how he retracted it, we have to enter into an entire discussion uh, in which Rav Papa is going to respond in such a way that shows that he retracted his interpretation of Abba Shaul. What was that? It says that the person, uh, uh, you know, um, benefited, committed me'ila, actually. He committed uh, benefiting from the um, from hekdesh from a sacred uh, items uh, and and therefore he has to bring korban meila bishgaga by accident. Problem is that excludes a person who did it on purpose. If you go and benefit from sacred items on purpose, then you don't get the opportunity. You have to still pay restitution, but you don't get the opportunity of a uh, of kapara valodino. And it should be logical because other mitzvot, meaning other mitzvot for which you bring a korban chatat, right? That have karet, and yet someone who is who does it b'mezid does not bring the korban. And now this is, of course, assuming that that is a uh, that that you see that even though it's very strict that the, that the punishment is karet, you don't bring a korban on the mezid. Meila she'en ba karet, eno din shabataram et mezid. So certainly, when it comes to meila, uh, where there is no karet, the the violation of misappropriating or benefiting from the bet hamikdash is not karet. So therefore, definitely, you shouldn't bring something. If 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 a, a, a sin so serious. That it get, you get karet if you do it on purpose. You don't bring any korban if you do it on purpose. So uh, so when it comes to me'ilah, for sure you shouldn't bring a korban. That says, Maybe that's only true about other mitzvot where there's no chiyuv mita. What about what about me'ilah? Me'ilah is different. Because here you have mita bide shamayim. It's a different thing. Truma, when you benefit from, when you eat truma that you're not supposed to, or you benefit from uh, sacred items of the Beit Hamikdash. The the punishment is mita bide shamayim. So it says. Maybe the reason is, you know, uh, the reason why you don't bring a korban when you do it on purpose in the case of other karet bearing sins is because there's no mitabi de shamayim. But here where we have a, 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 a punishment of mitabi de shamayim, of death by the hands of heaven, here it should be more strict and we should make the guy bring a korban even if he did it b'mezid. Now there's something a little bit backwards about that because the big, first half of the b'raita is assuming that karet is worse. Right, and the second half of the bride saying no, mitabi de shamayim is worse. So the Gemara is going to pick on that, pick up on that right away. Right, but the that's why we need a pasuk to tell you that only if you benefit from the Beit Hamikdash bishogeg do you have to bring a korban. So now we have to continue the discussion because we have to get to the part where Rav Papa shows that he that he retracted his view about Abba Shaul. So it's a few steps away from here, right? 
So, so Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak said to Rav Chia Bar Ravin, "Hi, Tanamikara Alim Alekaraytil Vasaf Alim Alamita Lemita." This is a little bit of a contradiction because in the first half of the Brayta, the assumption is karet is worse. Because saying if a, a violation, if a sin that involves karet, you don't bring a korban if you do it on purpose. So definitely a sin that doesn't involve karet, like benefiting from the Beit Hamikdash, you're not going to bring a korban if you did it on purpose. But then in the end, it says no. Maybe that's only because there's no mita bide shemayim when you uh, violate Shabbat or where you uh, eat on Yom Kippur or whatever. But here, where there's mitabi de shamayim, maybe you would bring a korban for the mezid. So what do you do? So in the beginning, it sounds like he thinks karet is worse. And he's saying, because meila doesn't have karet, it's less than the sins that carry karet. But then at the end, it says, no, that's only sins that have karet, but no mitabi de shamayim. Here we have mitabi de shamayim. That's more strict. So which one is it? So he said, this is the way you have to read the brayta. Lo imamad b'shal mitzvot sheken lo chayav en mita or chayav en but it's probably chayav en mita. But pachot mikazayit. We have to insert a totally, you know, alternative uh, uh, line into the Brayta that was not there. Because the Brayta didn't say anything about, it only talked about Mitabi de Shamaim and about Karet. And now he's saying, no, that when it comes to a Mila, uh, where you are Chayav, where you're liable even for less than a Kazait, that is more strict. In other words, it has nothing to do with mitabi deshamayim. You're right. Karet is worse than mitabi deshamayim because karet is ba'olam azen ba'olam abat. It's worse, right? That's for sure. But uh, but but mila, you're liable even for less than a kazayit. That's more strict. So maybe you'll think that other sins, like let's say for example, uh, uh, eating chelev, which has karet, there you have to have a kazayit. Here you don't have to have a kazayit, so it's more strict. So that's why you need a pasuk to tell you that you still don't bring a korban for that if you did it on purpose. Okay. And then it says, so that's why he says, uh, he says, Right, so that's, that's the chidush of Milah, that it's less than a kazait. Now that, of course, only goes according to Abba Shaul that we just read before, because Abba Shaul was the one that said it goes by the monetary value of Milah. It doesn't go by, uh, or at least Trumah, he was to, if, assuming Trumah and Milah are the same, right? So now they, so he says, And he said to him, He said, May your mind have rest because you gave my mind rest. In other words, you really helped me understand this. I was bothered by this bright that didn't make any sense. Now you explain to me in what way me'ilah could possibly be construed as being more strict than the karet bearing sins. It's because it, it, it applies even to less than a kazai. Thank you very much for that answer. But Varmalei said, wait a second. Don't be so rested. Now, why did why is he saying this? He's, he's he's like bothering himself. He he gave the answer, and the guy gives him a compliment, but he can't take a compliment very well because he says no, I didn't rest your mind. You know why? Because because they threw so to speak a wrench into the uh, into the picture here. They ruined it because who is the one who actually says that that if you commit mila on purpose. You get mitabi de shemaim because that's only known. Everybody agrees that if you eat truma, if a non kohen eats truma, he gets mitabi de shemaim. That everybody agrees, but uh, meila it's not said explicitly. It's a machloket. That's Rabbi that says that. The Tanya he's even meila. Rabbi Omer b'mitav chachamim omrim ba'asara. The rabbis just say it's a regular violation like any other love, any other lo ta'aseh. Um, and it's Rabbi that says that you're chayav mitabi de shemaim for benefiting from hektish. Okay? And maitama de Rabbi, and what's Rabbi's reasoning? Amar Rabbi Abau, gamar chet mitruma, because he learns it from the word chet that appears or in, in the case of truma and also appears in the case of 
in the case of Meila, uh, and because they're connected in that way, so matruma b'mita, af mila So just like we see the truma, if a person eats truma who's not supposed to, he has mita bi shamaim, death by the hands of heaven. So Meila, the same thing. Umina, and from that matruma b'kazait, af mila b'kazait, and from that we have to conclude that just like truma, you're only liable if you eat a kazait. The same thing is going to be true with Meila, that it only applies to a kazait. So what's the point here? The point here is like this: we wanted to get out of the problem of the brayta. What was the basic problem of the brayta? That the first half of the brayta assumed that karet is worse than mitabide shamay. Right? Karet is worse than misappropriation from the beta Mikdash or benefiting from these sacred items. Why? Because truma, is, you get karet and, uh, or other mitzvot rather. Not, not really truma, right? Sorry, I'm mixing the two things. Right? The, the bright that was talking about other mitzvot that carry karet. Right? Like uh, eating chelev, like violating Shabbat, eating on Yom Kippur, things that carry karet. So in the, the first half of the Brayta said that karet is worse. So if in a case of karet, you don't bring a korban if you did it on purpose. So definitely in a case like me'ilah, you're not going to bring a korban if you did it on purpose. Right? Even though it carries mitabi de shamayim. And then it said, no, 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 me'ilah is worse because it has mitabi de shamayim. Right? It's, and, and therefore you would think that you should bring a korban even if you did it on purpose. But the problem was that the first half and the second half disagree because the first half is weighting karet more seriously and saying that makes the karet bearing sins are more serious. And that says, no, 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 mitabi de shabayim is more serious. So how do we try to answer it? We try to answer it by saying, well, no, what makes me la more serious is not that it's mitabi de shabayim. It's that you're liable for less than a kazait. That's the big chidush. Because any other sin, you have to have at least a kazait. If you ate chelev, whatever, at least a kazait. Here you don't have to have a kazait, so that's what makes it more strict. Okay? So then it said, he said that's a very good answer, but, it said, but it's not such a good answer. Why not? Because the idea that you're liable for less than a kazait won't work. Why not? Because the person who says that you get mitah bidei shamayim for mi'ilah, for benefiting from the Beit HaMikdash, which is what this Brayta is assuming, that you get mitah bidei shamayim for benefiting from the Beit HaMikdash, is Rebi. And Rabbi learns that from Truma. And in Truma, you need a Kazait. So ostensibly, seemingly, Rabbi would say you need a Kazait from Me'ilah as well. So it will not work. In other words, the person who says that you get Mitabi Deshamayim for benefiting illegally from the Beit HaMikdash is also the person who would say that you need to have at least a Kazait involved because they're learning it from Truma. Okay, because of chata, because it says sin with the word chata in both cases. Okay, so therefore it doesn't work. Okay, what? Why do you just have the kavachomer? If here, if here yeah. you have karet with, uh, with at least a kazayat, and right. here you have azara with less than a kazayat. So obviously this is, this is more severe, karet is more severe. That well, because in the bright that mentions mitah, that's why. So they're try- that's why they're assuming it has to be Rebi then. Okay, so once it's Rebi, we have to say that it's, you have to say that there's a Kazait involved because you learned it from Truma. Now, of course, that's not necessarily true. And in this case, Rav Papa pipes up and he says, Why do you assume that Rebi holds that you need a Kazait? Maybe holds like Right, so why don't you just say that Rebi holds that there's mitabi deshamayim for meila, and he says you can be liable for less than a kazayit of benefiting from less than a kazayit. Why? Because he doesn't hold like the chachamim. He holds like Abba Shaul, who says that all we look at is the monetary value, and it could be that something less than a kazayit is worth more than a pruta. But didn't Rav Papa in the previous Amud suggest? That Abba Shul required two things. He required a kazayit 
and the required, uh, the, the amount of prutas. So you see from here, you see from this, Rav Papa retracted and he said, no, it's a black or white situation. It's either we go by the monetary value or we go by the kazayit, not both. And so once we say that, so now we see that Rav Papa, from his answer, was not saying that Abba Shaul required both things, kazait and also monetary value. He was saying, no, only monetary value. So now when we go back to the Brita, we could say, Rabbi is the author of that Brita. That's why it's assuming, that Brita is assuming that the punishment for Me'ilaz Mitabi De Shamaim. And what he was saying was, maybe, maybe Me'ilaz will be more strict because you get Mitabi De Shamaim for less than a kazait because I hold like Abba Shaul that if it's worth a Shavet Pruta, then the fact that it's less than a kazayit isn't a problem, right? To qualify for me'ilah. So that could be the answer. But from that, you see that Rav Papa is saying it's two totally different tracks. According to Abba Sha'ul, we look only at the monetary value. According to the Chachamim, we look at the food value. Okay? Now, more You know what? They weren't done amending and messing around with this Braita that was so problematic that the first half seemed to weigh karet more strictly and the second half mita more strictly. He says, no, no, that's not really the stringency here. We, they, and according to these interpretations, basically you have to rewrite the entire Brita. I mean, it's not gonna. Rashi says, "Hamat nitad dileel b'shibusha itne be'midrasha." It was totally a mistake. They're, they're saying that we need to throw out that Brita. The, the, the original approach was let's just insert the words less than a kazayit in there, and we could save the Brita. Right? But now he's saying, no, 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 the whole Brita was a shibush. It was all a mistake. We have to re- rewrite it all together. What was the reason for considering Me'ilam more strict? Not anything to do with Kazayit or not Kazayit. Forget about that idea. But She'en Mitkaven Kemitkaven. That other mitzvot are not in mitkaven kemitkaven. If a person doesn't intend or they do intend, it makes a big difference. We say that what? If the person goes out and he wants to cut a vegetable and he doesn't realize that the vegetable is actually still planted in the ground, okay, so he goes and he cuts it, that's, uh, that's considered mitasek, basically we call it. In other words, in order to qualify for bishogeg, we learned in the seventh parak of of Masechet Shabbat and many times repeated in Masechet Shabbat that it's the person has to know what they're doing. They just forget that it's prohibited either because they forgot it was Shabbat or because they forgot the Halachot of Shabbat. But they knew what they were doing. In other words, if a person turns a switch and they think that that switch is mechanical and it turns on the light, they didn't even know that it would turn on the light. That's not considered Chilul Shabbat Bishogeg. That's not considered violating Shabbat by accident because the person didn't even intend to turn on a light. They thought they were turning, I don't know, a switch or a mechanical switch or something else. They didn't realize what it was. Okay? That's not called Bishogeg. Bishogeg is, I know what I'm doing. I'm cutting this vegetable, right? So, that's called Mitasek. Okay. Right, yeah. There's, it's right. It's called Mitasek. A person doesn't know what they're doing. It's not a matter of that they, uh, you know, they decided to do it based on a mistake. That's Bishogeg. Bishogeg is, I decided to do the action, but I didn't realize it was Shabbat. I didn't realize, or I didn't look at the Shulchan Aruch and say that you're not allowed to do that, or whatever. Okay? That's what it, that's a Bishogeg. Here, if the person's nitkaven lachtochet talush v'chatachet means that he thought that the, the vegetable was, was, you know, already pulled out of the ground. He didn't know what he was doing. But if you told him you're, you're pulling something out of the ground, he would have not done it. He didn't realize what he was doing. That's not called bishogeg. Okay, that's called mit asik. It's a lower level. 
זו תאמר במילה שמתכוון להתחמם בגזעי חולית, והנה התחמם בגזעי עולה, שמה, I like the example they give, you know, the person decides to take a nice shearings of the, uh, that belong to the uh, sheep of the Bet HaMikdash that are being used for uh, whatever Bet HaMikdash use, he decides to warm himself up with those, very timely, you know, warm himself up with those, right, and he doesn't realize, so it says, in that case, he thought he was taking the Gizei Chulin, he thought he was taking from the Chulin, the pile that was the non-sacred, and he took from the sacred pile, okay, so that, even though, in other words, in the Halachot of Shabbat, that would not count, that would be called Mitasek, because he didn't say, oh, I thought you're allowed to use the Hekadesh to warm yourself up, I, I thought you were allowed to, he didn't say that, he said, I thought I was taking, I intended to take the ones that were not the Hekdesh. Okay? And yet he's still going to be liable in that case. So you see that Kavana is treated more strictly from, on, on, in the case of Me'ila, in the case of, uh, in the case of misappropriating from the Beit HaMikdash. We don't care what you thought. That you thought. What? It does make a difference because you don't bring a korban if it's mezid, but it's uh, but it, it doesn't make a difference. Uh, but but the, the difference in shogeg and mitasek doesn't make a difference. Yeah. So now Rav Nachman bar Yitzchak Amar, and this is actually the same machloket uh, pertains to Hilchot Shabbat as well. There's the same idea of where where is the line of mitasek drawn. Okay? Do you draw it that the person meaning that he meant to cut something, he just meant to cut the vegetable that wasn't planted, he cut the wrong one. Or, Rav Nachman Yitzchak takes it down another level. He says, Right? That over there, Here it's a different thing. According to Rav Nachman Yitzchak, you have to take it a notch down. So Machloket, I think in Masachet Shabbat, it's Abayin Rava. Right? Isn't it? Yeah, it's not, it's not Rav Nachman Yitzchak. Yeah, but uh, in any case, it's... Um, the, here they're taking it down a notch. Saying, it's not that you intended to cut the the vegetable that was detached and you cut you you cut the one that was detached. It's that you weren't even planning on cutting at all. You were just you wanted to pick something up and you didn't realize it was attached to the ground and then you end up cutting it out of the ground. So in other words, according to Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak, which I believe is Abaye's opinion in 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 in, 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 in Shabbat, you can't even intend to do a cutting. You have to intend to do a totally different action, picking it up. You just meant to pick it up. Right? It, according to him, if you intended to cut, even though you didn't realize that it was attached to the ground, that would still be considered a bishogeg. But if you pick something, you intended to pick it up and you didn't realize it was attached to the ground, then all of a sudden you, you know, it would be like if a person leaned back and they didn't realize there's a light switch behind them. Okay? And they, or, something, or they're walking down the street and they didn't realize somebody has a motion sensor. Whatever. That would be, according to everyone, mitasek. Right, because you're right now. So, what does he say? So, but how? So, similarly, if you stuck your hand out to take something and you rubbed against the oil of the hekdesh and it gave you a nice uh, skincare uh, benefit that it got on your hand, that would be meila, even though you didn't intend to do the action of sicha at all. See, the difference is that in the first version. You intended to do the action of warming yourself or anointing yourself or whatever, but you didn't realize you were using the Hekdesh. That's still called Meila. Here he's saying even if you didn't intend to anoint your hand at all, you were just trying to reach for something and you rubbed against it and you got the benefit of the oil on your hand. Even if it's not, no right, it, it doesn't matter. Right, right, those issues don't play, are only right. Halachor of Shabbat. Yeah. It's even, it, it's even more strict. It's saying even if the action you did wasn't even an action of warming yourself or sicha, it was a totally unrelated action, but you benefited, you're still going to be considered com- committing meila. The point here is that meila is more strict 
than these other mitzvot because it doesn't have the same threshold of requirement for intention. Okay, whether you put that threshold that you intended to do the action but you didn't realize the full context, like you intended to cut, but you didn't realize it was attached to the ground. Or it has to be, no, you intended to pick something up, you didn't intend to cut at all. Either way, we're saying Mila is one step further in the requirements, and therefore it's more strict, and you might have thought, therefore, that uh, you would bring a korban even if you did it on purpose, because obviously it's more strict, and therefore it's coming to tell you that you don't. Okay? Now, in any case, moving back to our subject, sort of, right? Amar more the master said before, that if the person separated truma, then it became chametz. So that's a case in which... Um, in which uh, you could have trumat chametz. You could have trumat that's chametz. If you already separated as trumat, it became chametz. But if you have chametz on Pesach, you can't give that as trumat to the Kohen. If you try to designate chametz as, as trumat on Pesach, it doesn't work. Everyone agrees. Even Rabbi Yosei Aglili, who says you can benefit from chametz, will say that that doesn't work. And where do we get that from? Because it says you have to give to the Kohen. You have to give him something and not not for his light. Meaning, even according to the one that says he can benefit from the chametz. By burning it, so means he could benefit from the light of it by lighting it as a, uh, as a fire. According to Rabbi Yosei Aglili, that would be okay. But you're not allowed to give him truma that from the beginning he could never use Fully. In other words, if the truma gets, you know, became chametz when he already had it, okay, that's his problem. It's not your problem. But you're not allowed to give him chametz that already from the beginning has strings attached. Like I'm giving you this, uh, I'm giving you this truma that you only can use for burning, according to Rabbi Yosei Glili, because it's asur, it's asur ba'achila, because it's pesach. You can't do that. Okay. Now it says Mativ Ravuna. We say that you're not allowed to give truma to the kohen. And if you did, but if you did, it counts. Okay, in other words, if you have uh, grain and part of the grain became tamay, you're not supposed to give tamay. If all of your grain is tamay, then you could give him the truma tamay because that's all you have. Right, but if you have grain that is tahor and you want to give the portion that's tamay to the kohen as the truma, you're not allowed to do that. If you gave it, the status of truma will happen. It's but, busy. right, what? Even the mezid, you gave it. It, does, it says, it, it has to be with kavanah, with separating truma. He can burn it. He can burn it. He can use it for fire. Yeah, he can use it for oil. If it's oil, he can use it for fuel. Yeah. So yeah, that, that's the reason why you could do it. Right? So, so wait, wait a second. You just told me a pasuk. Doesn't the pasuk say you're not allowed to give him something that he can only burn? So why are you allowed to give him the trumat me'ah? There's a difference. Because over there at one point, the grain was capable of being good. Right? So, um, in other words, there was a moment where, and Rashi says, Because when you first gathered the grain together and before you separated it, it was tahor, we assume. And you could have separated it tahor, right? Um, and the, uh, but the, uh, uh, you know, but when it comes to chametz, Rashi says, Very strange case, right? I don't even know if that's, I, I didn't think that was possible, but it says that it became chametz while it was still attached to the ground. It started to become chametz while it was still attached to the ground. The only possibility would be actually, it could happen if the, um, if it died. Meaning, it, yeah, so like if the, uh, if the grain died, for whatever reason, because the ground froze or something like that. So then, then it could become chametz while it's still attached to the ground, hypothetically, right? Because it's, it's just that the plant died. That doesn't make it talush. I assume that's what they're talking about, because if it's a live plant, it can't become chametz, obviously. Right? So the, um, so in any case, the, oh, right, so, what? Yeah. 
Yeah, but that's what he says. I tell him, I don't think he says that though. But uh, but I think. Yeah, but mechubar. The only case that it could happen, as far as I know, I'm not a botanist and I don't I don't know. But I think that the the only way it could happen would be if it died in the ground, in which case it's still considered mechubar halachically because it's still attached to the ground, but it's not uh, it's not alive. In any case, the. The point being that in the uh, if it became chametz before it was ever gathered, so then it could never become truma. But if it was separated and at some point it was, had what's called shatakosher, meaning that it was it was tahor when he when he gathered it in, obviously, and then it became tameh, or it was non chametz at a certain point and then it became uh, you know it became chametz later, so then it would be able to have the status of truma for the kohen. Um, because it had a moment where it was capable of being fully used, so even though now it has a restricted use, you're allowed to give it as a truma. Okay, that's that's his answer. Now he says, What is the case of where there was no shata kosher, was never capable of being full truma? But if it became chametz when it was talush, in other words, if, it, if he separated it and he had this grain, and then it became chametz afterwards, so then, since there was a moment, he could have, he could have designated it as truma before it became chametz at some point, and he didn't do that, so even though when he designated it, it's already chametz, it would actually be good. Why? Because at, at the moment that uh, that he initially had it, he could have designated it as truma when it was uh, not chametz. In other words, if it became chametz in the ground, that meant that he was never able to designate it in a non-chametz state for the Kohen, because you're not allowed to designate truma when it's still attached to the ground anyway. Right, but once it was detached from the ground and it wasn't chametz, since he could have at that moment designated it as truma for the kohen, and he didn't, and then it became chametz, and then he wanted to designate it. Actually, the designation will will work because um, since it had what's called shata kosher bediavad, at least it would work. Amale. We're talking during Pesach or just before. Pesach? During, well, when we're talking about the chametz case, we're talking during Pesach. Be yeah, right. So because otherwise, you know, the chametz is not an issue, right? But in uh, in the case of the tamein tahor case. The Tamein Tahor case we're talking about any time, right? But the yeah, but the Chametz case, because the thing is that something cannot become Tamein when it's attached to the ground, that's right. for sure. That's so, so at some point it was Tahor, right? So it's always going to have had Shat Takosher, right? The thing is that you shouldn't give the Kohen Tamei Truma when you don't have to, when you have Tahor uh, grain. But if you did, it's, it, it, it works because it had a Shat Takosher, because it had a moment where it could be fully Truma and you just didn't take advantage of that moment. You waited too long. Okay, but chametz that was already chametz from the moment of its inception, so there was never a moment where it could have been non chametz truma because when it was attached to the ground, it already started developing uh, its chametz properties. So therefore, it never had an opportunity. But he, he's saying that if you had gathered the grain, even if it became chametz on Pesach in your domain, you could designate it as truma because, according to Rabbi Yossi Aglili, and give it to him because you could benefit from it because. It had a moment where it could have been fully used by the Kohen, even though you did not uh, act in time for that to happen. And then he said to him, he said, that's right. And then he quotes a pasuk, actually, from Daniel. It says that, uh, you know, this was what was decreed from on high, so to speak. Is a pasuk from Daniel that's used as a phrase. It was, you know, by the decree of the, uh, of the watchers above. And the statement of the holy ones, okay? Meaning that this was this this is what it was said. This is exactly what they said in the Beit Midrash, exactly what I just told you. That the only time where where there would not it would not work 
to designate Truma that is Chametz, even B'diavad, it wouldn't work, would be if the Chametz was Chametz uh, that was Chametz while it was still attached to the ground. But if it had a moment that it was had Shata Kosher, it had a moment that it was uh, acceptable, uh, even the um, uh, even the uh, uh, you know, then everybody agrees that it could have the status of truma even on Pesach. Now that's uh, seemingly only according to Rabbi Yosei because according to everyone else, you're not allowed to benefit from it in any way, so it has zero benefit. So it has to be that it has some benefit. So it would have to be according to Rabbi Yosei And then it says, Rav Hunabri, Rabbi Yoshua, Okay, Rashi's going to say that Afilu bechmitz naktosha. He's going to say that even if it became chametz after you detached it from the ground, it's, you still can't make it into truma uh, because Amar Reshit. It says that it, the, the pasuk says Reshit when it talks about truma, meaning it's the first of the grain that you give to the kohen. nikarin which means that Reshit, the first of Reshit diganecha, is what it says, the first of your grain. That's not literal that you have to give him the first thing of your grain, but it means you're giving him the, you know, the, before you benefit from your grain, before you use it, you're giving him the, you're giving him first. Reshit diganacha means the first of something. Like Bereshit Barai Elohim is one of the most complicated psukim in the entire Torah because Bereshit is first, of, beginning of, beginning of what? Right? So everyone has that problem. But Bereshit, so some people say, well, it means Bereshit Azman. No, it means Bereshit Bereat Elohim et HaShemayim et Aretz. Like Rashi says, there's a lot of different interpretations. Then there's a, Ibn Ezra that says, no, Bereshit could just be, uh, it doesn't have to be Smichut. It's a very interesting issue. But here they're interpreting like this. Bereshit means that, uh, it means that it, the first of something, that what's left over is Nikarin Israel is distinct for and, and recognizable for a, Jew, a Jewish person. Rashi says, Mashmash Tehi Reshit Ve'elo Shiraim Nikarim Tehi Matiratan Israel. In other words, when you separate Truma, part of what happens is two things. The Truma becomes Truma and what's left over becomes permitted to the Jew to eat. Now, if you're separating from Chametz, it's not going to work. Rashi says, Ve'ibafrish Trumat Chametz Ma Heter Yesh B'Shiraya there's not going to be any permission for what's left over because it's not going to create anything because he says like this because in the beginning it was Tevil right yeah. and, and now um, he says and again we're talking about according to Rabbi Yosei Aglili so according to Rabbi Yosei Aglili no change happened because before it was Chametz you separated the Truma and it's still Chametz and you, you, it doesn't give you any additional benefit normally when you give Truma the leftovers should have some additional benefit so when you had the Tevel originally, you were allowed to benefit from Tevel, non-tithed produce, but you're not allowed to eat it. Right? That's why you're allowed to sell Tevel. Somebody else could separate the Truma. No problem. You're, not, you're just not allowed to eat it. And now that you separated the Truma from it, if it's Chametz and it's Pesach, so then according to Rabbi Yosef Lili, the same exact situation. Yeah. You're not allowed to eat it, but you're allowed to benefit from it. So nothing happened there. So that's why it's not considered a good separation of Truma, regardless of when the Chametz Happened, meaning when it became chametz, you can't separate tromat chametz because there's no change effectuated by the separating of the chametz in the status of the leftovers. They're going to be exactly the same, and you know, and in order to qualify, it has to create some change in what is left over. Okay, and there's no clear difference that emerges from separating. So it happened that Rav Avia was sitting in front of Rav Chizda, and he said the following in the name of Rav Yochanan: If you have impure grapes, what you can do is take a small amount of grapes at a time. The grapes are tamei. Okay, take. A little bit of grapes that's less than an egg, than a kabitza, 
Lesna kabeitza means it cannot transmit tumah to anything else. Less than the size of an egg cannot transmit tumah to anything else. When you squeeze out the juice, because the amount of grapes is so little, you're squeezing out little by little, so what will happen is that the juice will not become tameh from the grapes. Now, what is that, of course, presupposing? It's pre- presupposed, and you can even use that wine for nisachin. You can use that wine for the Beit HaMikdash. Alma kasavang mashkin mifkad pekidei. Okay? Which means that according to Rabbi Yochanan, the juice of the grape and the grape itself are two different things. It's like the juice is contained in the grape, but it isn't the grape itself. So therefore, the grape could be tamay, but the juice inside that is yet to be extracted, technically is not tamay. And therefore, leimatka mitamay. When will it become tamay? Lekisachitlo. When you squeeze it, it's going to become tamay. And as soon as you start squeezing it, since the grapes are less than a kabetan size, they can't transmit too much of the juice that comes out of them, so you're going to be okay. That's what Rabbi Yochanan said. If that's true, kabetza nami. So why not even a full kabetza? Why does he say less than a kabetza? Because the reality is that that's none. We learn tamemet a person who is um, impure from contact with the dead. Shesachad zeitim vanavim, and he, he squeezed out um, olives and grapes. Kabetza mechuvenet, exactly a kabetza worth of these fruits. Torin, they're going to be pure. Why? The same thing because the minute he squeezes it and the juice comes out, it's less than a kabetza because he had exactly the right measure. So the no, minute the he squeezes it, it diminishes it. What? The fact that the juice came out, it's less than kabitzah. Right, exactly. As soon as the juice comes out, it diminished the grapes already, so they never touched the kabitzah of tum'ah. So it's going to be okay. Huh? What? No, that's what he made tamay. The klipah itself is what is tamay. But it doesn't have enough to transmit tum'ah to something else. It's too small of an amount. Right? So he says... Deal, so, th- so what? So it says, I'm talking about b'diavad situation, right? Because he says shenit meu. So he says when when I'm I'm, I'm sorry. In that mishnah, it's talking about lechatchila. I'm, I'm talking about b'diavad in the mishnah, right? Because the mishnah is saying that the person went and did it already. So we're saying up to a kabit and exactly a kabitza. We're not going to say the juice is tamei. I'm talking about giving you lechatchila advice. Get less than a kabitza and you'll be okay. Right? But when you're talking about somebody who already did it, so they already did it, so they already did it, we don't know, you know. But I, now, you'll say, well, okay, but why don't you give advice up to a kabitza then? Why do you say less? Because I want to be extra careful. If I'm giving you advice in advance, I tell you to be extra careful, but put less than a kabitza. But if we're looking bidiyavad, the guy already squeezed the grapes, as long as it was less than a kabitza, as long as it was exactly a kabitza, so the minute the juice started coming out, it was less, so we're okay. Who's going to listen to you and Rabbi Yochanan, your teacher? You're talking nonsense. He doesn't like it. Where did the Tumah go to? It didn't go into the juice. What are you talking about? He said, no, once the fruit is Tamei, the juice is also Tamei. It's not the juice is inside the fruit. The juice is part of the fruit. If the fruit became tamay, the whole thing's tamay. Right? He's like, what are you talking about? So he said back to him. He was challenging Rav Achabarav Avya. So he says to him, what do you mean? You don't agree that the juice is contained in the fruit? We just read the Mishnah before. It's backwards. But anyway, the point is, didn't you just tell me that uh, didn't you didn't you read the Mishnah? The Mishnah says explicitly that if a tamemet person comes and squeezes out exactly an egg's worth, the juice doesn't become tamay. So according to you, the juice is just part of the fruit. So how could it be that the fruit juice doesn't become tamay when they, originally the guy touches it? 
Yeah, so he says, oh, so if you're going to tell me that it's contained in the fruit, but it's not actually the fruit itself, so then we can understand why the juice comes out. Since it's coming out, a fruit that is now squished and is less than a kabitza, it won't become tamay. But but if it's just part of the fruit itself, how could it possibly be taor? You're telling me that the grapes are tamay. How could the juice, you're telling me, that, and you're telling me the juice is just part of the grapes, so what happened? How could it be that it's not tamay? We're talking about Anavim. They weren't Tamei yet. Because no liquid had touched these grapes yet. Okay? But what happened was, What happened was, these grapes became Tamei at the moment you started squeezing them. Because you started squeezing the grape and the juice comes out and the juice gets on the grapes. Then they became Tamei because the guy who was squeezing them is Tamei. That's what it's talking about. That's why it mentions that, because why do you need the fact that the guy is Tamei who's squeezing the grapes? Because the grapes became Tamei from the guy as he's squeezing them. When did they become Tamei? They became Tamei at the moment that the juice started coming out. And at that moment, they were already less than the Kabeza, so they couldn't actually make the juice Tamei. They just became capable of receiving Tumah from the liquid they came out. That's what it's talking about. Okay, but really, hypothetically, if they were already wet, let's say you washed the grapes before, and then the tamei person touched the grapes, the whole thing would be tamei, including the juice automatically, right? Because the kabetza, no, it doesn't need to be a kabetza to receive tumah, only transmit. Yeah, because if you don't say this, what about haditani? What we learned actually a couple of dapim ago, tutin vanavim Remember before that Rabbi Akiva was talking to uh, Rabbi Yochan ben Uri and he said that the Chuma that is uh, that Chuma of Chametz is similar to the Chuma that you give that is Tamei of ju- of fruits basically that you can't use for uh, burning you can't use for burning so there's no benefit to the Kohen in those fruits there's no benefit to the Kohen in the uh, in, in those berries because they are they, they can't be used for burning and they're Tamei right so it says and according to you right so uh, it's actually a pretty clever question, right? Because he said what, that, you know, because Rabbi Akiva had said that normally, why can the Kohen benefit? Why is it a benefit to the Kohen? Why is it valuable? Because he can burn it as fuel. But if it's, be- if it's berries and it's grapes, he can't burn that as fuel. Right, that's made for for the for the you know it doesn't have any function once it becomes tamei for the kohen. So therefore, what? So therefore, it said that that's useless basically to the kohen. That such tamei trumat tamei would be useless, right? What? It should the team is in parentheses because it's not part of the it's it's a mistake. It's a mistake. Yeah. So in the um, it, so the thing is that uh, that in the. Uh, yeah, so, so, the, uh, so the point is, though, that if, if Rabbi Yochanan is correct, that you could technically take already Tamei grapes, already Tamei fruits, and squeeze out the juice, and the juice won't become Tamei, so then why are you telling me that it's useless for the Kohen? The Kohen should be able to extract the juice and actually drink it, and it'll be Tahor. Yeah. Right, in other words, according to Rabbi Chizda, it makes sense, because he's saying when a grape becomes Tamei, the juice becomes Tamei, it's one thing. So if the if the fruit is already tamei, the whole thing is tamei. There's nothing you can do with it. But according to you, Rabbi, according to your your teacher, because he's talking to a student of Rabbi Yochanan, according to your teacher, that you can actually have grapes that are already tamei, but the juice is not tamei. 
Because right? according to Rav Chisda, the only case where the juice would come out the whole is if the grapes were becoming tamay through the juicing process. But if they're already tamay, then everything in there is tamay. So how could it be then? So then why did Rabbi Akiva say that fruits that are tamay that are given to the Kohen as Truma are useless? They're not useless. Squeeze them, pachot mika at a time. The juice won't become tamay. You have juice. Why is it? What's the problem? So he says, ah, no. You're right. That um, in theory it would be possible. But the problem is that we're worried that if you keep those fruits around, you might forget that you need to, you have to juice them in order to benefit from them and you might eat them. So therefore they didn't allow, so therefore it became useless. It's useless because the rabbis made a that, that the Kohen is not allowed to keep it around because he can't keep something around that he has to juice. Because if he has to juice it, he might forget and he might eat it. Okay, but then Amar takala. We've seen this conversation before, right? So what? So Abaye says, do, are we really worried about that? Didn't we learn that you can actually, that the Kohen is allowed to use, it's actually a Mishnah, I think, right? That you're allowed to, uh, to, to use, the Kohen is allowed to use the bread or the oil of Tumah that became Tameh. Right? He's allowed to use it for fuel. So the question is, if he's allowed to use it for fuel, so you're to, right, so what if he eats it? Right, what if he puts on a so you right, he ends up making a sandwich, you forgot. So it says, no, there, what did we say? And this is the same answer that we saw before. If he has bread that became tameh, he has to throw it with the firewood so he doesn't make a mistake and eat it. And if it's oil, if it is oil of truma that it became tamay, he has to put it into a dirty cup so that way he, there's no way he's going to come to drink. It'll only use it for kindling. Okay, so the point is that we, you, we, we are concerned about takala. So we can't conclude. In other words, so, we, so the machloket stands between Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Chizda. When fruits become tamay, does the juice inside automatically become tamay? Or do we say that no, the juice is contained in the fruit, but you could actually extract the juice hypothetically in, in a way that prevents it from becoming tameh. Oh, if that's possible, then what about berries and fruits of a kohen that become, uh, that become tameh, truma, uh, truma tameh? Why is the kohen not able to benefit from them? Oh, because there we're worried that in the meantime, before he actually comes to juice them properly, he's going to end up eating them and violating the prohibition of eating truma tameh. And that's why we don't allow him to keep them around. But in theory, according to Rabbi Yochanan at least, the juice contained inside the berry is it not itself truma tameh. It's actually 100% Tahor, just that it could lead to other problems for him to leave those berries around. Okay?